How you feeling? You're on? I'm good. That's good. Welcome to the Joust. My name is Nagy. I'm here as always with my co-host Liam McNeil. Now, Liam, that uh, that song, you know, just playing good is not good enough, and uh, I think that reminisces quite well with this round because we were just not good enough against the Cowboys on the weekend. We weren't. Look, uh, I loathe to talk about this game, Nagy. I was working on a bit of a think piece about uh, the oft overstated importance of the purges on the Red Army in the lead-up to World War II that I was yep. going to do on the show. Mm-hmm. But then it came to me, you know, we are a Newcastle Knights podcast. I suppose we should talk about the game that happened on Saturday night. Friday night. Friday night. It it was... Oh, Nagy. It, it's not going to be fun to talk about it, is it? No, it took it took us back. It took us back to last year. It definitely felt like a last year performance. Uh, you know, leading, looking like we're in control, looking like we're in it. But if anything, because it's this year, we had confidence. And that's the worst thing for, for a letdown is, is having the confidence there. Because when you've got no confidence, you don't have far to fall. You're already on base level. Uh, but when you've got confidence, you lift it up. You're sort of holding a balloon, if you will. And you're just taking up higher and higher and higher. Only for the balloon to be bursted at the 78th minute. And you fall all the way to the ground, all the way that you lifted. That's it. I hate having hope. Yeah. Having hope is painful and terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I yearn for the for the days of yore when, you know, we're going, up, going ahead at half time and then you say, well, we're going to lose this one, so let's have a few beers. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I didn't have any beers because I was at work yeah. and I ended up very angry the rest of the night. It, w- oh, it was just a debacle, Nick. It, it was an absolute debacle. It wasn't well, it wasn't nice to see in case anyone might have missed it I mean using this forum as a, a way to catch up on the game which is terribly <laughs> a terrible use of your time we're sorry to do this to you but we were up 18-6 18-6 at half time but we looked it was the way we were playing the score didn't it wasn't about the score it was how easy it looked like we were scoring points that's uh, it the, the Cowboys just looked like they didn't show up for the first 40 minutes they weren't there and mm. we didn't put that to the sword yeah and I think we th- I think especially I thought you know I thought we were going to go back in the second half and at least you know we might not be able to score as easy but we'll be able to score enough to, to not let them back in the game uh, and we didn't score again we uh, didn't we mm. didn't and it was mentioned a few times during the coverage that we have the worst second half defense in the competition yeah. the Cowboys have the worst second half attack in the competition and by god wasn't it just terrible to watch it showed it, showed it really that. showed it was a from such a you know exciting and electric first half to sink to that second half, it was a, it was an insipid second half, Nagy. That's uh, the word I'd use to describe it. It was insipid, insipid, riddled with errors, and just oh my god, it was just terrible. And it wasn't like it wasn't like we went head to head and we were really like matching each other. And then you know it, it just looked like we were just laying down. You know it, it what it looked like. It looked like the team was gassed in the second half. It looked like we uh, and especially in that last sort of twenty minutes, we looked busted. There was players going down. We lost Danny Levi with a hamstring. No, no, like, there's no excuses being made. We should have had the game wrapped up by that point. Exactly. That's wherein my biggest qualm lied that we should have had the game wrapped up by then. They shouldn't have been still been in the race in the first half. They were absolute. The Cowboys were just terrible. They were absolutely terrible, and we should have had it wrapped up. 
Yeah. We should ah. Oh. Yeah, oh. And they would have lost five games. I think it was their fifth game in a row. They would have lost, you know. And yeah, it, it we did, we deserve to win that one. But look, enough of just dwelling because we'll be doing enough of that moving forward. But Liam, uh, we'll go. What went right? What went right for you for that game? Well, the first forty minutes, Naggy. The first forty minutes was excellent. The attack was there. I mean, I think the Knights did really well to isolate some weak points, specific specifically mm. rather. The edge defences of Jake Clifford and Jonathan Thurston, we exploited. We knew where they were weak, and we hit them hard. And we just looked electric. Every time Caelan Ponga got the ball, he was either providing an offload for a line break, he was making a line break himself. But so many times we didn't capitalise. I think my first sign of worry was when uh, Ponga makes the line break, he sizes up the fullback, gets it to Mitch Barnett. Barnett just kind of fell. He looked like he was running in treacle. He got shot, And then he got chased down, and... From there, I was like, "Oh God, we we don't have this. Yeah. We're winning, but we don't have this. We didn't we didn't have the game by the scruff of the neck." So, yeah, the first half the attack was great. The defense as well in the first half. I know the Cowboys didn't throw much at us, yeah. but besides that one try with uh, Danny Levi in the bin there, the defense was good. You know, we had Sione and Kalen Ponga bungling that same winger whose name escapes me escapes me at the moment yeah. over the line um, to save a try. You know, Cohen Hess was held up, splitting Mitch Pierce in half. Across his noggin. Um, That was, you know, we showed a lot in defense that I kind of gained a bit of hope. Like, all right, we're defending all right. They're not throwing much, but we're defending okay. Yeah. um, For what went wrong, Liam, there was a period in the second half there from about, uh, I'd say, the 45th minute to the 55th minute. We just didn't have the ball. The Cowboys had all the ball, and they weren't even doing that much. uh, You know, we were were defending basically in that middle third, uh, and... And just, just fighting it out. But what we were doing is just defending. And it looked like we came out and all that energy and all that excitement and everything when everything looked pretty crisp in that first 20 minutes, um, it just sort of fell away. Uh, and then suddenly we, we never bounced back. Uh, everyone just, you know, whenever a player went down, everyone ever missed a tackle, whenever there was a, a stop of play and you'd expect a team to run back with energy, they just looked like they were running in sand. They looked like they were looking up at the clock. It just felt like uh, they, they were never in that. They, they were hoping that what they'd done in the first half was was enough to win the game and they weren't willing to dig deep enough to do it again in the second. And it really showed that period you talked about, you're right, the cows had all the running, we were defending and then we got about five repeat sets. I think it was four or yeah. five repeat sets basically on the Cowboys line and couldn't make anything out of it. It was it was a game that I think to me really highlighted the difference in the team not having Connor Watson. Yeah. No, because I, a defense yeah. like what the Cowboys threw up, Watson would have absolutely gone to town, I think, especially in the second half. He's a very lively player. I think he would have been the one to really put the stamp on that. Interesting you mentioned that. And, you know, the combination with Pierce, as we said last week, uh, you know, when they've both played the full game in the halves, uh, we've won every one of those games. They were working halves combination. And the Cogger put put the tries over early, but it's... we miss Watson's energy, uh, and he he always asks questions down the blind. He wants you know he makes it the tired defenders think, and you know he asks he asks those questions that it's that it's hard to defend against when you're on the back foot. And I think we just we just didn't we had no patience in that second half with their attack, and I think that came off the learning from the first half when we got lucky and were scoring early in the sets and from 20 out and we thought oh this is easy you know what I mean we don't have to build pressure we don't have to pin them down in their own line we can run it on the fifth and sort of spread it wide and just think just hope you know what I mean you know when you just spread it wide and you just hope yep. and it's, and it's and just that is exactly what Nathan Brown said in the pre- press conference he yeah. said the team came out in the second half and looked like they were just thinking well we'll just score points and we'll win score. the game we'll yeah. just score points and win the game it's I guess the you know, the scourge of a younger team that you think that will just score points, but yeah. you need to apply the pressure 
to score the points. And although I don't think the Cowboys were that much better than us in the second half, it was telling that Jonathan Thurston was involved in all of their tries. Everything. He built pressure. The rest of the team weren't playing too well around him, but he built the pressure that allowed the Cowboys to to finalise the game, to put their stamp on it. And we, we just didn't do that. We didn't do that. We expected to score, you know, on not if not on every play, you know, we expected to score as often as we wanted to. And that's just not... It's not, matu- uh, it, it's not it, mature. It's not mature footy. It's not footy. mature. Yeah. It's not a way to win a game. What you saw from Jonathan Thurston, who still looked like he looks like that shoulder is giving him grief. And mm. we, we sent some traffic down him down his side in the first half. In the second half, we just sort of went away from that. Um, and he you know, came off a few of the tackles and he was just holding that shoulder so so painfully. And we just didn't do that enough. We didn't, you know, we should have been throwing everything at him because he was the only thing they had coming back the other way. Uh, but, you know, he's the class player. Even though he's not the player that he once was, you know, how many times have we seen that in when in Queensland when all he needed to do was just keep applying pressure, keep, and then they find that crack. And that's what they did with us. And you could almost, you know, you see it with Thurston so often. And it was just a classic Thurston play. Go down the blind, hold a hold, inside man. And then that led to the, the last try. It was, yeah, no, it, it took a lot out of me yeah. watching that. I had a terrible night at work. Again, it's the hope. I don't want the hope. Don't well, give me hope. <laughs> well, we'll stick with the H's uh, theme. And who's your hats off for this Look, week, Liam? My hats off for this week. It's got to be the Pong. You know, I think he was wonderful. We've got our stats here. Again, courtesy of the Hebrew Hammer, our stat- statistician Hebrew genius. Thanks, Spiegelman. Thank you, Spiegelman. 180 metres, Kalen Ponga ran for. He had seven tackle busts and a line break. I thought yeah. he was the spark in attack in the first half that mm. really got the side going. I feel like he tried a lot in the second half, but again, it was just the... A lot of it was, he seemed to have had the energy sucked out of him. The players around him had had the energy sucked out of him, which we know is one of Ponga's strengths is he gets the players outside of him, you know, into the right spot. And it just felt like the players outside of him couldn't couldn't offer what he needed. Uh, so I thought he played really well, but yeah. again, it was just... He did all he could. Uh, and we can't rely on Ponga to break the games open like that, you know, when we're on the back foot and, you know, expect that 12 men out there aren't going to lift, but he will. Um, there was a few things that I think, you know, just didn't didn't work for us. And Ponga, like, you can imagine Ponga coming into this. He hasn't played football in three weeks. He's only been running around, you know, uh, in the last week. So he's had two weeks off. His match fitness probably just wasn't where it once was on the back end of those games. Um and, you know, to come out to your old team, to play against, you know, arguably, you know, the, the greatest player ever in Jonathan Thurston. I'd argue, argue that. I will. Argue. Yeah. We will argue we that. We will argue that because we all know the real <laughs> answer. Um, but it's, you know, he would have had so much excitement to finally play these guys that, you know, a team that pretty much let him go. Uh, and he would have, you know, come out with 100... And then to think I'm oh, on top and have them... You know, just turn the tide. And I can just see, like, we, they broke us. They broke us emotionally. They did um, break us emotionally. And us emotionally as yes. well. Yes. <laughs> to think that we haven't been broken before is quite something, but they finally did it. But if, the well, bastards <laughs> finally did it. But I think one thing that did buoy my spirits, and again, the more you hear about Caelan Ponga, the more impressed you are. But I, I read an article through the week that in the process of recovering from the ankle, he rolled at the captain's run. Yes, that's uh, true. Thursday, he was carrying that as well, yeah. He spent the the night at Tony Ayub's house. He was like, look, I want to rehab this properly. I want to do it 100%. So yeah. he spent the night at Tony Ayub's house so that they could, you know, probably Not- have some wine, some cheese, <laughs> and uh, focus on an like, hour-by-hour hour recovery program to get that ankle right. So no, again, but- I'm, I'm just impressed with the kid. Everything, Every single thing I hear about him makes me swell with joy. Yeah. And... Uh, 
you know, I really needed to read that. He's an he's an animate professional for a person his age. He's really showing a lot. I always compare him to to someone around that was around his age at the time and looked like he was doing all that sort of things. If you remember when Josh Dugan came onto the scene, just he's like, you know, hear me out, hear me out, Liam. He was a pisshead. No, listen, this when he came onto the scene when he was playing for Canberra, I think it was, and he, he was. then uh, and he was just you know he was just everywhere. It was his rangy uh, you know fullback that no one could control. All the clubs wanted him to play, but then you see it around sort of that twenty one age, and then he could just like, well, he became a real dick, um, but. <laughs> Pong is, Pong is the same, and but it's like he, he comes with all the talent and none of the cockiness. Put the hats off, Nag. Hats off has to go to Lockie Fitz, Liam. Uh, you know that first half from him. We were uh, we were talking uh, last week about how fifteen tries in in basically in you know not even quite a season and a half, a season and a third is um, it's it was he's just. He's managed to keep that going, and he's what he, what he showed there again. Two tries in the first half, so he keeps proving so. Now seventeen tries. He's in easy he le- leading. He's try leading scoring. the night's um, try scoring. It's quite something. He's a he's a hell of a talent. He's a hell of a talent. He, he's a, you know just that big body. He does it again. He ran the overs line twice. Twice it paid off for him, just beating the first tackle. But the first one from a little bit further out, and you know to beat beat the line. And a lot of Fords just absolutely shit themselves when they beat the line. <laughs> they don't know what an open space looks like. Yeah. Uh, and you know he was looking for passes, but then also to have the mind said to just go himself and step back in and like but look and step back in and and do it all himself he he's a real talent um, he is and it wasn't only his two tries he had a great game he had uh six tackle busts two line breaks and 43 tackles led yep. the tackling for both sides jake granville was second with 36 he's really showing that he's maturing into more than just a line runner more than just a hole runner he's he's becoming a very competent and very complete second row i think he ran for just a touch under 100 meters so still put in plenty of work but um yeah he got the players player from the night and yeah he was he was outstanding hats back on liam i know you want to say the, the second enti- half i know you want to say the entire second half and oh, you will it's i look- think it's got to be josh king for me again yeah he had two runs for 13 meters he just doesn't seem to be offering much yeah yeah and look jacob lilliman as well only played for about 18 minutes never got a second um second run you could you could maybe argue that's there's something wrong with the interchange. Maybe they're not getting that right. Maybe they had to, you know, when Danny Levi did his hamstring, maybe he's going to come on again. But it's like, why do we have this player that's only playing for 18 minutes in the starting him? But he's not doing great numbers either. It's really strange. If he was like killing it, if it was like a Fui Fui Moi Moi back in like 2006 when they would just put him on, he would have this incredible 15 minute spell and then they'll take him off and he would have another spell. So he'd only play for like 28 minutes, but then he would have, you know, 140 meters. And that's it. That would be good quality work across the 28 minutes. Yeah. But instead, it's just it seems like he's on. He do, he just does less than what other front rowers are doing, uh, and then he's taken off. Like Andrew Fafita, I think played for thirty minutes on the weekend. Like you know, it's stuff like that. You just you can't. How do you compare the, all these props? And you can say that he's just getting old. But if he's just getting old, do we really need him? Is he doing enough as a big body? I think he only had less than ten post contact meters, which is not much. No, it's for not. a man they call the ox. Yeah, I thought Jack Cogger had his best game in first grade for the Knights. I think he did too. He showed what he can do once he's got a controlling half. You know, he let Pierce do the kicking. He filled in um, pretty admirably for Danny Levi while he was in the bin at dummy half. He had a few good little runs. You know, set up Lockie Fitzgibbon's try. I thought Cogger showed to all the detractors how he fits into a team, where he can be and what he can do. And paired with Lachlan Lewis... Next year at the Bulldogs, they're actually going to be a pretty good halves combination, I think. Hopefully, I want to see him do well. Um, mm. I want to see him do well because obviously that we gave him a good run here, and you know, I think it's a general consensus. And no one thinks well, we should really keep Cogger uh, for anything else, but just a bit of a reserve. You know, if anything, bit of depth, bit of depth, and that's mm. you know, and that's not really a place to keep a, a young half. You think you know, let him go, let him let, let him try at another team because sometimes they really prosper. For me, Hasback on sort of, sort of shared. 
Look, I've been watching a lot of Jamie Burer, a lot, and I was trying to, since we were talking about do you re-sign him a few weeks ago, and I was thinking to myself, you know, maybe I'm just being a little bit hard on Jamie Burer, but um, coming in as a co-captain, you know, obviously he does a lot around the club as far as, um, you know, coming from a, a team like Manly, a lot of great success in the time that he was there. Uh, he was then selected for Origin at that time in that really sort of strange... No one still... No one's really explained that one to me, <laughs> yeah. actually. But, you know, like, so obviously he's, he's come from that sort of caliber of player. Um, but just he doesn't seem to have been bringing that. I don't know if it's not just like a workload in defense. He doesn't offer anything running the ball as, as a back rower. Um, and... I, you know, his front-on defense, I'm thinking, it's something, you know, I'm, it call me crazy. Maybe I'm just because I'm watching him. You know, he's like the naughty kid in class, and I'm the teacher, <laughs> and I'm just like, just like, why do you keep mucking up? But really, everyone's mucking up, but I've just got eyes for him. Um, but <laughs> it, it seems like he gets, he at least once every game, he gets sort of, he gets stuck flat-footed, and then, it, you know, he doesn't seem too quick in changing direction. And he's, you know, if you compare him to someone like um, Chris Hingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingdingd
he was very much, I can do this by myself. I'll win a game by myself. Yeah. But now he's in first grade and that was never, I guess this, you know, we're pro-violence on this show. What sure. the hell? Let's go. He never had that beaten out of him in reserve <laughs> grade, which I think a lot of younger players need because yeah. these younger players coming up, they don't understand the rigors of first grade. They don't understand that they can't just take a team on their back anymore. They can't be the bearer of the team. It, the first grade doesn't work like that. And therein lies the issue with the current setup of the NRL. Todd, <laughs> we need reserve grade back. There needs to be a proper first grade reserve well, grade under 23s or whatever. Well, Danny Lovo played a little reserve grade this year as well. And it was this year, it's too late though. Oh, well, he needed he... that in his formative <laughs> years. Well, actually, he's still well, in his formative this years. This is now the first year of a three-year re-signing contract for Danny Levi. And, you know, he didn't play much first grade. He's got the opportunity. Look, he didn't have a terrible game. He um, didn't. I thought he, he offered quite a bit of spark in attack. I thought his sin bidding was, uh, was, yeah, was a the, ludicrous call, but more to come on the refereeing in a wee moment. I I didn't think he had a bad game. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's it was up and down like a sort of a thing. It wasn't like we're only in retrospect, which is what we do. The whole thing is retrospect. Um, um but it's interesting to see. Uh, you have to blame someone, but then also you got SKD Howler, but Mitch Barnett drops the ball twice. You know, you but know, again, the, SKD he did a lot of hard work out of yardage. I thought, yeah. you know, he, yeah, he yeah, got the true. team on the front foot. But again, it's those, those SKD Howlers and. I think Mitch Barnett, like you said, he had a night to forget with his handling. Um, oh, it was just... There was a few problems. <laughs> there was a few problems. But let's talk, Nagy, yeah. referee. No, no, I think... <laughs> I am not one to blame referees for a game, and I shan't. The Knights should have won that game okay. on the back of their own performances. Yeah. But I will say this. The officiating that game was disgusting. Yes. It was so bad. Well, actually, speaking of the officiating, there was on the final try... Oh. Um, the uh, there was a, was a bit of you know was it or wasn't it not a forward pass the last pass thrown to leave the try um, Elliot we got a clip uh, I think we got a clip there um, so this is you know we're we're defending a two point lead and this pass here now it was it got way more attention than I thought it deserved because. I didn't think that was forward. I, thought, I it was thought it was a fairly marginal ball and, you know, the kind of pass you'd happily see go either way every other week of the year. If that was the Knights coming through for us to win the game and then people called it forward, you'd, you know, we all know we, what we'd say. You're mm. just being sore losers. You know, and that's what I think a lot of people were. They were just hanging on to, like, please be forward. Please be forward. But once, once it's not called forward and it's not like an obvious netball throw forward... There's no point of of talking about it. It shouldn't even be you know news like oh was it or wasn't it Ford? It wasn't called Ford on the night. It didn't look dramatically Ford. It's only if you stop and pause and pause and go oh look this re threw it this recorded but he's running it you know seventy five um, percent pelt like you know it's gonna move forward. That's and I, it. I hate defending a try that's uh, <laughs> that you know that costs us the game. But it wasn't that that cost us the game it was the firstly the, the last five minutes of play but it was also that last you know very thirsted s set play that it was just you, he's been doing that for 15 years you know what i mean like at least we could have and it, you know we came he drew the defender over like i think it was barnett yeah, I'm not it was, sure, yeah. came in just to you know just to shut him down but that's what he wanted mm. and the and the and the hole was there the hole it was, was like created. a fisherman putting bait into the water yeah but <laughs> again like i I think we would have suffered more if they call that and the tries disallowed or whatever because then we're talking about a winning game, we gloss over the bad second half and we don't discuss the problems that occurred. So, yeah. you know, I, I was fine with that being ruled a, a 
you know, a good, that w- a good pass and scoring a try. Because if that doesn't happen, yeah. we go into next week and think, oh, we're brilliant, we're wonderful, everything's great. When in reality, we had one of the worst second halves of football I've ever seen. Yeah. So well, I tell you what we I did, think Len, it was, and, and I tell you what we did, we absolutely capitulated. Capitulated, Nagy. That's our word of the week. Well done. Capitulated. Capitulated. And Thank I tell you what, it was the word of the round, Liam. Oh, because, wasn't it the because word of the round? If anything, like the one, because that happened Friday night for the first game on Friday night, and we, you know, we all carried that into the weekend. But what we saw from other teams uh, was the exact same thing in in different Parramatta having a, a fourteen point lead on Souths. Only to get it run down in the second half. Manly being up 24-6. 24-6. Losing in the last 20 minutes. If that there was is terrible. Anything. Look, obviously the football gods like to even everything out. <laughs> and when they saw that the Knights, fan, Knights fans had a terrible experience watching their team in, in the second half, they're like, well, if you thought that was bad... Stay tuned, <laughs> like because they're also the the rugby league guys are also television producers. Absolutely, <laughs> and so they should be. We all love television; it's wonderful. Clearly, the people in charge are a higher power. Yeah, and we was, should praise them. It was so you know great to see Manly uh, suffer that loss because <laughs> to be eighteen points ahead, twelve minutes on the clock. But they didn't need twelve minutes; they only took seven. Now the worst part about that though was I didn't even get to enjoy it because my uh, my boss at work is a diehard Manly fan, lovely bloke Aaron Hogg. Hope you're listening, mate. And, yeah. Uh, Switch it off. He said to me on Friday night, he said, look, Liam, you're the only Knights fan I'm going to ever console. So I'm sorry, mate. That must that lots must have been hard. And so on Saturday, I watched the last 20 minutes uh, before work and I went in and I just kind of had to <laughs> grip my teeth, shake his hand and say, Hoggy, I'm, mate, I'm sorry. Again, I'll never console a Manly fan but you, Hoggy. It's like, it's so like, I didn't even get to enjoy it and rub it in his face. It's like when you greet someone at a funeral. <laughs> you don't actually say anything. You just sort of go... There was a nod, a handshake yeah. and just a... We, we're going through this together. Mate. We understand. There's we no understand. Words that need to be said. No, we grieved together. <laughs> he, he just nodded and said, thanks for coming, Liam. Really <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. that's pretty much it. The family appreciates yeah. it as well. Everyone was dressed in black. Uh, but it was a capitulation. Every, every, like, you know, we were one of three teams to capitulate. Uh, and it was... That, that made it slightly better. It, look, I'll tell you what, the Manly-Penrith game made it better because it wasn't... When it got to Monday, uh, it wasn't like, oh, look at the Knights, throw that win away. It was like... Did anyone see that Manly Penrith yeah. game? And so it just took the weight right off us. And not only that, you know, as soon as I watched that second half, I was like, oh, shit, here we go, sliding down the ladder. So at least that the other teams who are beating us in terms of coming last, yeah. they lost too. So they lost as well. To suck it, those team fans. <laughs> That's what we want. <laughs> Time for the news, Liam. Oh. Not the biggest week of news, Liam. It was. Yeah, it's uh, been a very quiet week in news. There's been <laughs> again. We, we've said it a few times throughout the year. This may have been the most quiet year in terms of NRL players being dicks. Yeah. I mean, it's great for the game, but it's terrible for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's not working out well. So the first piece of news I want to cover was uh, an interview with Mitchell Pearce. Yeah. Last week he was interviewed by the Newcastle Herald. Now we all know Mitchell's on a four-year deal. And uh, what he said in the interview is that he feels like he's still got five years of excellent football ahead of him. Yeah. And he would like to finish his career in Newcastle, which was just wonderful to hear. It was very good to hear and very promising. Yeah, especially in this, like, in a, you think, you know, I think everyone heard that was like, oh, five years, well, he's contracted for four. He's at this age, oh, he's probably only got that much time left in him. But if you think about now, if you look at the contracts debacles that have happened, you know, Brisbane's talking about getting rid of Jack Bird and then you've got uh, Aaron Woods having, you know, Bulldogs to go. To, they went to, ends up at the Sharks on, on huge money. Contracts don't actually mean anything 
they need two things. They need the club to still want them, and then they need the player to want to be there. And if those two don't match up, they end up leaving. So having Mitchell Pearce come out and say, I actually want to stay here. I'm really enjoying the first year. And it's, you know, he's used to a team that, for the most part, was like, pushing for a top four uh, and so now that he's, he's like this is coming after a game that he, he knows he's not going to make the finals now but he still wants to be part of that you know I'm not going to call it a rebuild anymore I think we've built something I think he wants to live in the house that we've built he wants to enjoy <laughs> the place but that that's funny you said that because um, it was Matty Johns came out after that interview and said yeah it, it must feel different for Mitchell coming from the Roosters you get a win it's a relief you get a feeling of relief it's like oh shit everyone expected us to win and we won yeah. whereas when you play at the Knights you get a win and it's jubilation it's excitement it's it, it's good it's not just oh great we won now that week's done let's move on it's like we won let's get pissed and have a great time it's not so- too much Mitchell but you know <laughs> dude it, it must be a, an immensely different feeling and you know, I think it bodes well for the long term. I like that he said that. There's something about this year that the wins have meant something a little bit more. I know they've been close and, and we've got our issues, but you know, when you're watching wins this year and you know there's there's more of that to come. Uh, we're only on the up. You know, we're not. We haven't done this quick rebuild as we've said before. We've got the likes of Ramian, um, the Edric Lee, and Timothy Glasby. Timothy Glasby on the way with another big signing to come. Mitchell Pearce is happy. We've got the Pong for four years. You can see the the, the this is this is on a we're on the growth up when a lot of teams are on the slide down and when you're out let's say you're out somewhere like uh, what's uh, like maybe the Commonwealth Hotel Liam wonderful venue the it, Commonwealth Hotel isn't it just and mm. I'll tell you what when you're like right in the heart of Newcastle there at the Commonwealth Hotel and it, it's and you're watching a game and it you, the jubilation you get when when you actually get that win, whether it be close, whether it be by two or by thirty, not that there's many by thirty, but <laughs> no. When did, when did that happen? I don't know, but I will tell you what, it's different to when it was two years ago. When it was two years ago, when we couldn't buy a win, and we'd even get one, it was sort of like, oh yeah, but it was like, well, next week's gonna suck because we got any other NRL team that's gonna come and flog us. <laughs> so it's like, at least now we've had our disappointments, we've had some you know positive wins, and there's still five games left of the season. Five games left of the season that, that um, I think we can, we can squeeze out some more. And, you know, I think it's going to start with the Tigers next week. It's just occurred to me, Nagy. We're at the stage of the rebuild. We built the house. Yeah. Now we're furnishing the house. I've just... Yeah, well, that's sort of what I said before. I Yeah, well, you said it, but I thought I'd say it again. <laughs> I think sometimes when I start talking, you you stop listening, and then the only person that's listening is whoever's listening to this. Yeah, I do the same with you. I, we're, yeah. not, we're not actually talking. We're just taking turns to talk. <laughs> that's pretty much it. But the next item in the news. Now, mm. Nagy, this is not a specific item so much as... What I've seen across the whole rugby league news, and I would love to discuss with you, Nagy. Yeah. Have you heard the latest news out of the rugby league media? The NRL is dying. Yes. Have you heard this, Nagy? Mm. I've heard it every goddamn day uh, this yeah. season, and it's really getting old. Well, I was even listening to Talking Sport on the way here, and then it was they were saying how even the junior rugby league, like there's there's problems down there that they're just not addressing, and the game's just moving forwards, but not addressing the problems at grassroots. And this isn't even stuff around it, the elephant in the room being that basically there's lots of kids playing now that are much too big, uh, in for the ages that that they are. Call it the I don't know the child obesity crisis call it the uh you know the influx of polynesians who just seem to grow a lot quicker at a younger age and it's but you you watch it you know there's all this stuff on facebook now you see like look at this under eights and the kid looks about 14 years old and he weighs about 90 kilo and he just like runs through them and every time you see a game like that you know that there's players on that opposite side whose parents just go nope i don't want my son playing that anymore because he's going to get seriously hurt we're not far away from something that's going to get you're going to hear about a young player that's going to you know Break, break a neck or break a disc or something like that and then 
as soon as that hits the news, you have players, yeah, parents all over the country pulling their players out of the game, by pulling their eight and nine-year-olds out and saying, you're not playing that, you're playing soccer. It's a much safer thing. There's an elephant in the room around size that they're not addressing, and it's it's going to really hurt our game. But um, well, I believe they are addressing it. There has been moves to move towards a uh, weight-based system for juniors as opposed to an age-based system, which... That would work. It would, it would work, work brilliantly. It would work fine, but then it's just... You, you never see it. That, that was around when I was playing under 14s. That, that was talk, so it was like... That's, that's it. They've been talking about that forever. But my big thing about this all, Nagy, is that we've heard this yeah. every year... Since I think it was 1894 when yeah. a group of men sat in a room and said, we're forming the Northern Rugby Football Union. We're splintering away from Rugby Union. Every single year yeah. since that fateful meeting, we have heard that Rugby League is dying. Rugby League's in crisis. In my short lifetime, I remember 1995, the Super League war rolled around, started tearing the game apart. Rugby League's dying. Rugby League won't survive this. Yeah. I remember the late 90s and early 2000s um, when the Wallabies opened up their war chests and started buying huge name you know, high-profile players. Rugby league's dying. We're at the end of rugby league. I remember in the, you know, the kind of mid-2000s when social media started becoming big and players were acting like dicks and getting caught. Rugby league's dying. dying. It's all going to die. It's this same narrative that is brought up by these media, you know, we'll call them what they are, fossils, who have always had control of the media. Buzz, for a sport- can, you, can you do Buzz Rothfield impersonation, please? It just involves... Dying. <laughs> Sorry, I need, I'd need a glass of wine to be doing a buzz right here. But it's just this same narrative that the rugby league media has been using since the game began. And yeah. it's shitting me to tears. It's really annoying. If you look at participation numbers, I believe are up. Yeah. Television numbers are up. Crowd numbers are up. Uh, that to are me, they, up? Are they, they are up. They're okay. up on last year. They're up on the year before. They're actually experiencing growth at a higher rate than the AFL. Yep. And yet we are constantly told that the game's dying. They're saying there's refereeing crisis. The game's dying. There's, you know, players well, leaving. The game's dying. It's the same thing they've been telling us every single year. Well, it's interesting that this is happening in the same week that, as we said, uh, there is not much happening in the news. Now, it, like when a good friend of mine was chatting to, I think it was Barton, Billy Barton. Hello. Uh, the Hello, Billy. When he was chatting to Craig Bellamy at, a, at an event and he was like what's it, what's it like yeah I know hoity toity <laughs> Billy Barton um, the, and he, was, he was saying what's it like coaching a rugby league side in Melbourne and he said look mate basically the AFL is so in like engulfed in Melbourne that AFL controls the media you've got people in the back rooms actually like you know pulling the strings hiding stories protecting players big names like you know and they manage to you know not always there'll always be stories that break but it's more of a controlled system uh, in the NRL it's the complete opposite the media has such a big stake and in fact you know News Corp owns a certain amount of teams I think Brisbane's one of them um, that it's that they need they, they're using just the sport to generate news uh, so it's you, you know you get you get things like this as saying the game's dying because that's just something that just divides people and creates opinion but not only that it's now leached its way into the coaches it was Ricky Stewart said the other day we're not going to have a rugby league in 15 years yeah well he, that's he, ridiculous he, he probably won't have a job in 15 years he <laughs> shouldn't have a job right now yeah. but but it's just to me it's so baffling that rugby league as a sport yeah. is so filled with people who are so negative like if rugby league can survive the media scares that they have every single year for the last 108 years yeah then we can survive this and yet you still get the media trying to tear it down you get coaches saying that the game's not going to exist you get you know the media are saying all these fans are turning off I haven't heard from one person who said, boy, I hate rugby league. I'm leaving because of this thing that happened. That just doesn't seem to have happened to me. And yet they're trying to raise this scare. It's just, it's so endemic of the way 
rugby league people see rugby league the people at the top yeah. rugby league people see rugby league as if something goes the way they don't like it's dead it's done it's over that's the people at the top let's hear from the people on the ground let's open your sack Liam these are the people who should be running rugby league Absolutely. these are the people we need to be hearing from thank you sackers excellent sack this week Nagy it's yeah. very big very huge swallow. now first question for the sack Matty Stork asks this is a good one. I like this. Would you be okay with the Heritage jersey being our main jersey? Is it time for a change or do we keep our current strip? Well, I think we were, when we had uh, Isaac Butterfield here, we are talking about jerseys. And the seven, the seven that now... And, you know, as we were talking about how the game's going to be gentrified, gentr- gentrified. Gentrified. That's next week's word of the week. Oh. I'll preview it. <laughs> <laughs> but nice it's going to be... And it seems to be like, you know, very sort of like, you know, everyone wants a piece, everything. You know, you've got to have... Something real capitalistic. Oh, let's offer seven jerseys. That way we can sell seven different jerseys to people. Um, I think there's too many jerseys. I've always said this. I like one home, one away, maybe one special one. Maybe. I don't know. Call me crazy. But again, in classic rugby league fashion, this is something that the English soccer put paid to in the 90s. Manchester United had a season where they had about 15 jerseys. And you know what the English Premier League said? They said, no. No. You can't do that. Enough. Forget about it. Mm. And it didn't happen. And so we're at a point now in rugby league where there's starting to be more jerseys, which I'm going to disagree with you. I love that there's different jerseys and I'm a bit of a rugby league jersey nerd. I adore them. I think if your team, if my team, the Newcastle Knights, could wear maybe nine or ten different jerseys throughout a season, I would be ecstatic. Because I'm too broke to buy one jersey. So I'm not going to buy eight or nine, but I get to look at them and enjoy them and learn what they're about. And I love that. But I realise the practicality standpoint it's ludicrous to expect. <laughs> but I think the more jerseys we can use, the better. I do love the Heritage jersey. I think it's wonderful. I'd love to see that as the main jersey. Yeah. But the blue and red bars, I love that too. I think it's beautiful. Why can't we have both? I just, as long as it's not the away jersey from about 2005, which was just all red with oh. like a little bit of blue. That was disgusting. I hated that. <laughs> that was so bad. And then pair that with the red shorts and the red socks. Yeah, awful. It's just a team entirely in red. It needs to be red and blue. Yeah. I just honestly think we have the best jersey in the comp. And, uh, you know, just objectively, but I think my favourite colour is blue, hiddenly. So. Absolutely. Now, actually, I'm going to look through. Um, <laughs> There's more on jerseys? There was another question about the jersey. I can't remember who it was. Chime in if you remember who you are uh, on <laughs> this up. question because we'll I forgot ne- to write it down. That's all right. We'll do it for next week. Do we get rid of the away jersey? Well, that white away jersey, we never win in. We um, never win in it, but I like it. I think it's a strikingly beautiful jersey. Uh, I don't know. You don't like it? Well, I've never really liked it. Maybe it's because we don't usually win away games, like historically. Yeah. I think we, we've probably won about seven. So as a <laughs> talisman, Nagy, you'd say no? Yeah. But aesthetically, what do you think? Aesthetically, it's all right. It's gorgeous. Know. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. It's all right. Who I else think we it's got gorgeous. Who else we got? We've got Brett Crookshank. Now, Brett asks, who is to blame for our bad second half starts and seeming lack of adjustments? Is it the coach? Is it the players? Or is it both? Well, it has to be both. It's ask, there's something's wrong. Something's wrong that you know I was going to bring up in the news that it's what the most concerning thing about the rebuild. Uh, it's not just the second half. It's just the defense in this you know first, second, third year of the rebuild. Defense, defense, defense has always been the problem. The only difference now is we're scoring a few more points. Uh, and like I don't think our average points has gone up dramatically, probably because P- Mitchell Pierce didn't play for the middle third. But it's it's that's what's losing us the game. We're leaking points every game. Uh, so when we had that like you know great game against Parramatta where we kept them to six and everyone was like oh it's Parramatta and they're having a terrible season it's like no but like we nearly kept them to nil the entire game and I can't remember last time that happened 
I think we thought of it. I think we were asked this yeah, question before. Yeah, I think we before. did. We, yeah. we, we couldn't. But actually, that's something I forgot to put in the news. Mick Potter, who was serving as our defensive coach, I think has been let go. Um, oh, really? Which I guess if he's a defensive coach, he hasn't been doing a great job because we've got the worst defense in the NRL. Yeah, something's, something's got to happen. However, I think they could have maybe have kept Mick Potter. He's dally and winning fullback. Could have worked really well with Kalen Ponga. But I think as a defensive coach, yeah, we might need someone else. But I, I agree. T- I tell would be a great defense coach. Coach Danny Badiris, <laughs> get him oh, back to the club. Wouldn't he be wonderful? Get but I agree. You know, it's it, it, it it's both. It's the responsibility of the players and the coach to cobble together some form of rugby league game mm. that wins. And at the moment, the coaches and players didn't cobble together a rugby league performance that won. So I think the fault lies at both. Yeah. But I don't know to which extent at which end. Now Daniel Turner asks next, what did we think of the Levi binning? Considering at the time. Both teams had conceded the same amount of penalties. That was the Knights' fourth penalty after the Cowboys had conceded four. And Cows and the Cows player had seemingly lost at Cole. What's happened is there's we're seeing like a big spike in the sim binnings. But, you know, you see a big spike in the sim binnings. I don't know. It never seems to be sim binning when the game's in the balance. It's only when the early in the game. The refs, you know, have the biggest balls in the world when it's like the first 20 minutes. And it seems to be like, we'll sim bin them early. Hopefully everything, you know, then they listen to us and get the, the style of the pace. And yeah, we, we spoke about this with Crow at the beginning of the season. Bring back the bin. And they have. But they don't do it when it counts. Because you, you see the same... You see inconsistency. You see when it's like the when there's like one or two points in the game, all they get is warnings. Warning, next will go. Next will go. And then if the, if the same... Um, indiscretions happen they just don't blow the penalty because they're too scared and that's uh, it the <laughs> manner in which they've brought the bin back has been horrible but again it's a symptom of the rugby league referees don't know what the hell they're doing None. because they're yeah. getting so many influences coming from so many places telling them to do so many different things that it it's just untenable for them to expect consistency or it's untenable for us to expect consistency out of them I thought the, the call was bad Let's put it, it bluntly, call. the call was bad. It was a shit call. The Cowboys player lost it cold, but it was on the back of three penalties. There was confusion when Mitchell Pierce asked Henry Perinari, he said, but, mate, they were yardage penalties. They were, you know, repeat infringements on the line. Henry Perinari did say, that's the last one, next person's going. Yeah. But when does that reset? You know, we've moved on a few sets, we've moved up the field. There's no clarity there about when or where that warning is finished. It was, yeah. you know, growing up playing rugby union, it was always quite clear. Penalty, 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 next one's going. And then they're like, well, that area has been cleaned up. Yeah. You know, it, we, we move, move on. on. Yeah. We don't then call back and say, oh, hang on, you gave away a few penalties down there a while back and then it happened again and it in fact didn't happen and they say, now you're getting binned for it. It was a bizarre call and just woeful. I'd be fine with it if they used it consistently. Oh, but it doesn't seem to use the right manner. No, it's, yeah. yeah, no, look, we did discuss bringing back the bin, thinking it would be a great thing. But again, if you bring it back and use it terribly or inconsistently, what the hell is the point of bringing it back? It's what, a strange one. I don't what, like it. What did Hickling ask this week? Anthony Hickling this week. Maggie. Happy birthday, Anthony Hickling, from, for today. Happy birthday. We'll travel through time, time. and yeah. wish you a happy birthday two days after. Yeah. Um, but that, this, strap yourself in, Nagy. This is yeah. a big one. And this is actually harking back to the last one. How do teams avoid giving away so many penalties? He watched the game live and a lot of them didn't seem like penalties. I get they're trying to speed the game up, but it seems like teams have to accept the penalty count knowing the other team will be punished just as much. Yeah, sorry, there was a lot of penalties in there. What do, we, what do you think, Liam? I'm going to throw it to I'm you. I'm not quite sure uh, what <laughs> the last half of that means, but Hickling, it's very easy. How do teams avoid giving away so many penalties? Don't break the rules. Yeah, yeah, We commit to not breaking the rules. We say we're not going to slow the play the ball down. We're not going to go offside. 
then you don't get penalised. It's pretty easy. Yeah, look, I don't know. The, the whole penalty thing, It's it seems like it's just, it's pretty objective. It should be pretty objective in NRL. But in rugby union, it's subjective and it's completely up to the referee, but you never really hear about the rugby union. You might hear like, oh, he had a bad game there and he really let the game go there. But it's like, the referees cop heaps about, you know, this should have been a penalty, this shouldn't have been a penalty. I don't know, just move on. But there's the problem as well, Nagy. We say that a, a penalty in rugby league is objective. It used to be. Used to and be. then all the, you know, the powers that be said, oh, it can't be objective. Objective and penalties is ruining the game. We need to introduce grey areas. They introduced grey areas and subjectivity to refereeing. You know what those same people said? Oh, you can't have grey areas. You can't have subjectivity. They want to go back to objectivity. And it's just, again, that these the rugby league public kind of, or at least are told, that they want what they don't have every time it's changed. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, it's really, it's, it really annoys me now. It's like, it seems to be the, the, the way that teams get ascendancy again is just by getting two or three penalties. And it's like, is, are they, are they penalising the team that just slowing down in the ruck or, you know, trying to out-wrestle them and, you know, out, going outside of the rules? Or are they just, you know, getting on a bit of a roll because one penalty into the second, into a third, and they, all they're doing is watching that team more stringently than they are the others? I don't know. And it's something interesting that was brought up today on the uh, the internet yeah. that I read, and I don't know if I agree with it or not, but you'll notice at the start of the season when we had our crackdown that was so poorly executed and yeah. then thrown into the bin, yeah. the teams that were unsuccessful under the crackdown were the teams who have been known for flouting the rules. You've got your Sharks, you've got your Storm. I don't know, what other teams are dickheads? Roosters. Yeah, you're Roosters. And now that the crackdown's gone, we're going Brisbane back to Broncos. the Brisbane Broncos. Oh, These teams have started coming into their own and started there's playing a, good footy. There's Whether there's a correlation there or not, I don't know. Yeah. But... There's a prime example of how, like, yeah, that Brisbane Penrith game last week, you could have seen lots of Brisbane players get binned. If, if they'll keep using that, like Danny Levi, I think, and they had four on their own line, you know, and it was, like, slowing down the ruck, and there were one more, and you'll go. So why is it four that time, but it's three for... You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's just... No, it's... It's ludicrous. Thank you, Anthony Hickling. Excellent question. Joel Southgate asks... Should we give Basami Solo from the ISP team a crack in first grade? Sure. It's like, you know, Josh King hasn't stood up in the last six weeks. I'm assuming Basami Solo plays. He plays row. in the front row. He's yeah. enormous. Man. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm not familiar with him. I haven't, but uh, I'm sorry. That was probably a little bit of presumptuous of me. He <laughs> just sounds like a front row. Well, he is a front row. You'll be glad to know. I yeah. believe he can also play in the second row. He's played Australian schoolboys. I think he's still eligible for 20s. Give him a run. Give him a, now's, the, now's the time you'd. you'd promote those players up and say, look, Josh King, um, I'm really sorry, but like, you know, go back to reserve grade and maybe have another crack next year because you've had a good section and you haven't, you know, why isn't Yates playing? Is Yates injured? See that? I don't understand. Yates is, as far as I know, is not injured. He has been playing reserve grade and playing reserve grade quite, quite well. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Haven't watched it. Haven't looked at his stats, but I assume he played well because he's wonderful. And the other one, you know, now we've got depth front rowers like Basami Solo, like JJ Felice. This is the time of the year to Bring give him, him a in. run. Bring, Bring him, him in now. Yeah. yeah Bring absolutely. him in. Excellent. Justin Guion, last question for the night. How do, now, this is, a, this is a tough one to answer. How do we turn the team into a team that consistently plays for the entire 80 minutes that constitutes a game of rugby league football? Well, it's again, it's, it, it comes into defense. You know what I mean? Like, it seems like we can't defend for 80 minutes. That's our, what I see as the problem. Um, and we, we, it seems like we're a competitive. We, last year we were competitive for probably 30 minutes and now it seems like we're competitive for 40 stretched out over somewhere in the game. Which is still an improvement, I think it's safe oh, to say. It's well, better. It's, it's clear, We're clearly getting better. We're getting better. But it's, at the same time, like we're not doing enough. Uh, it's, it's still not where we'd like to be and it's... 
as I said about 12 weeks ago, I just want us to beat the teams that we should have beaten. And like last, like on Friday there, we should have beaten the Cowboys. That should have just been a win for us. Most teams would have had that. That's a game against the Bulldogs a few weeks ago. Titans a few months ago. The games we should have won, we yeah. didn't. Yeah. But I, I think a big thing as well is to get consistency among the team. You know, with the injury problems we've had this year, the halves have been chopping and changing. They have. We've had a few, you know, a, a different fullback or two, different centers and wing combinations every that's week. That's footy though. You know what I mean? Like that's we, footy. We can, when we've had like our, our our best team on the field, we've looked good. Mm. You know, at the start of the season, we, look, we looked good. Uh, but we're going to have injuries. Um, we, at the beginning of the season, it never feels like you're going to have any injuries, but you're going to have injuries. And so you're ne- going to need not only depth, but you're going to need players, different players to be able to stand up and take that. And I don't think, I think that's what we're missing. We're missing that the next lot of players to be like, well, you know, I know Pierce is gone, and I know, you know it, it would have been great if it was Brock Lamb this year to go and look. Pierce is gone. I'm going to own this team, uh, and that would have been a real big improvement because it would have been like, well, <clears throat> when when the top tier players aren't there, when like you know, it was like when we watched Joey Johns back in the day for uh, when and Joey's not playing. Ah, oh, well, we've lost that one. You know, yeah, and, and that was, was a so- weird period. And again, it feels like we're like that again. If Joey's out, well. Substituting Mitchell Pierce. If Mitchell Pierce is out, we lose. As long as out, we lose. Yeah. Well, it's like yeah, we can't just keep relying on the on the on the top echelon of players um, to to keep winning us games because they're not always going to be there, and there's going to be some structural problems around there. We're going to have to rejig, and then we're going to have to win. And I don't think I'm I'm yet to see a, a one where there's been either a late change or and our other players have really stood up and said, no, no I'm going to own this game today. That's that's it. what I feel like we're missing. I think it's just time and. And, and practice and consistency. We're getting better. And it's easy to, like, the season, you know, you know how we get, haven't gotten better over this season? No, but if you look back over longer periods, again, we're on the up. We're on the up, which is a good way to be. It's a, it's better than being just down. Lots of teams went down this year. Look, if you're a Cowboys supporter, and I know that you would have enjoyed that win, but it's like, you know, you played grand final last year, your squad hasn't changed, and now you're about to lose Thurston, Matt Scott's another year older, and you're at the bottom of the ladder. You know, that's a real problem. Um, Canberra Raiders is now the end of... Um, their sort of run, if you know what I mean. And well, that was a one-year run. No, no. Well, they like, had a good you know, 2016. Everything else has been terrible. Well, 2016, 20, and then it's um, and then it you know came down, and they're they're on the out. And Eels, another prime example, top four last year. They are the players on the side. They have to work all that goodwill back. But we, you know, are somewhere in that bottom third. But we're on the up. We're we'll, on the up. We'll be threatening that. Top eight next year, I think, Liam. It was, it's been exhausting talking about that. That was game. hard to talk about, wasn't it, Nagy? <laughs> Thank you all. But for, we got through it together. Thank you all for joining us, Jess. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you like our stuff, please like us on Facebook. Uh, see us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter. And I've forgotten one. Have I? The Commie. The we'll Commie. see you at the Commie. And we'll see you at the Commie as well. Please get down. Make sure it's, uh, you get down for the second last night's home game there against the Tigers. It's going to be a rip Hopefully, we can get another home crowd win. And also, you know, hopefully, we're going to get old boys as well. Last round against the Dragons. And it seems like the Dragons have classic Dragons form have gone to shit in the last few months. Just waited a few months. <laughs> the last <laughs> few months of the competition. We'll see you next week, Justice. Thank you for joining us again. Man, that was like... It's got a... It's got a nice start, this song. Ding. Mm. Alright, now we have our... Well, there'll definitely be another time we do.